Isaiah chapter 36, verse 1. And it cometh to pass, in the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah, come up hath Sennacherib, king of Ashur, against all the fenced cities of Judah, and seizeth them. 2. And the king of Ashur sendeth Rabshakeh from Lachish to Jerusalem unto king Hezekiah with a heavy force, and he standeth by the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field. We had read about this in Second Kings chapter 18 and also in Second Chronicles chapter 32. Now we're reading it again in the book by Isaiah because Isaiah was the main prophet during this time. This is during King Hezekiah's reign in the 14th year when Assyria came to attack Judah. They had already attacked the ten tribes of Israel and already taken some prisoners of war to Assyria. And then they decided that they could take Judah as well. They came in pride and they threatened Judah, but King Hezekiah remained faithful. Rabshakeh stood in the upper conduit because that showed a threatening posture to Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, the Gihon Spring flowed out of the city, which meant that you had to leave the city to get water. So the fact that the water is flowing outward and he's standing where the water is meant that he was threatening the people of Jerusalem that they wouldn't be able to get water because of his army being in the way. In the previous chapters, the prophecies that we were reading about Assyria are now playing out in this chapter. Ultimately, the Lord would overtake Assyria and destroy them for his people. 3. And go forth unto him doth Elikiam, son of Hilkiah, who is over the house, and Shebna the scribe, and Joah, son of Asaph, the remembrancer. The three top officers of Hezekiah's palace went out to meet Rabshakeh, who was a soldier sent from the Assyrian army and they were going to try to reason with him. 4. And Rabshakeh saith unto them, Say ye, I pray you, unto Hezekiah, Thus said the great king, the king of Ashur, What is this confidence in which thou hast confided? Rabshakeh is insulting king Hezekiah and saying, Why do you have faith in your God? 5. I have said, Only a word of the lips, counsel, and might are for battle. Now, on whom hast thou trusted that thou hast rebelled against me? Rabshakeh is claiming that the people of Judah have rebelled against the Assyrians. Isn't that true that bullies always accuse you of being on the offensive when they're the ones who are on the offensive? 6. Lo, thou hast trusted on the staff of this broken reed, on Egypt, which a man leaneth on, and it hath gone into his hand, and pierced it. So is Pharaoh king of Egypt to all those trusting on him. In this threat, Rabshakeh is partially telling the truth, because he's telling the people of Judah, you should have never put your faith in Egypt to help you out, because Egypt is too weak to fight the Assyrians. And that is true. In fact, we had read about that in one of the previous chapters, that the Lord prophesied through Isaiah that Egypt would not be able to help Judah at all, and Judah's help would only come from the Lord. In this metaphor, Rabshakeh is saying that 
Egypt is like a crutch that you lean on, but the crutch has a sharp point that goes where your hand or your armpit goes, and when you lean on it, all it does is stab you. 7. And dost thou say unto me, unto Jehovah our God we have trusted? Is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah hath turned aside, and saith to Judah and to Jerusalem, Before this altar ye do bow yourselves? This is a partial lie. Satan always mixes truth with a lie in order to throw us off and intimidate us. And here Rabshakeh is mixing truth with lie. The Lord had always told the people to put the temple in Jerusalem. So Hezekiah rightfully got rid of the other altars that were around Israel and said that everybody needed to go to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. But Rabshakeh is saying that this shows a lack of faith in the one true God because Rabshakeh said, If you had more faith in your God, then you would have more altars where people could worship him. But that isn't true. Having more faith in God is when you obey his words, which is what Hezekiah had done. 8. And now negotiate, I pray thee, with my lord the king of Ashur. Ashur means Assyria. And I give to thee two thousand horses, if thou art able to put for thee riders on them. Rabshakeh again is humiliating Hezekiah and the people of Judah, saying, I'll make the fight more fair by loaning you 2,000 horses, but only if you have riders for them, which he knew they didn't have. The fact that they didn't have riders for the horses is actually a compliment to the Lord and the Israelites. The Lord never wanted the Israelites to have huge horse armies. Horse armies represent human power, and the Lord always wanted to keep the Israelites weak so that whenever a battle was won on their behalf, the whole world would know that it was a miracle and that God did it and that the Israelites didn't win by human might. 9. And how dost thou turn back the face of one captain of the least of the servants of my Lord and dost trust for thee on Egypt for chariot and for horsemen? Rabshakeh says, why are you trusting Egypt to give you chariots and horsemen? 10. And now, without Jehovah, have I come up against this land to destroy it? Jehovah said unto me, go up unto this land, and thou hast destroyed it. Here, Rabshakeh is outright lying. He's claiming that God told him to go and destroy Judah. And he's doing that to make Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem lose heart. But the Lord did not send him to destroy Judah. 11. And Elikiah saith, and Shebna, and Joah, unto Rabshakeh, Speak, we pray thee, unto thy servants in Aramean, for we are understanding, and do not speak unto us in Jewish, in the ears of the people who are on the wall. When these three palace officials went out to talk to Rabshakeh, They had to go outside the walls of Jerusalem because that's where the water was flowing. That's where the conduit was. And that's where they were talking to Rabshakeh. But there were people from Jerusalem, Israelites, listening up at the top of the wall. And the three palace officials did not want those people to be intimidated or afraid. And Rabshakeh was deliberately speaking in Hebrew 
and he was probably yelling and being as loud as he could to scare as many Jerusalemites as possible. The three officials begged him, please speak in Aramean so that they don't know what you're saying because we don't want to alarm people. But of course he refuses. He wants the people of Judah to be terrified of him so that they'll do whatever he says. 12. And Rabshakeh saith, Unto thy Lord, and unto thee, hath my Lord sent me to speak these words? Is it not for the men, those sitting on the wall, to eat their own dung, and to drink their own water with you? Rabshakeh is continuing to speak in Hebrew, out loud, so that everybody can hear him, and saying, Don't the people of Jerusalem have a right to know that they're going to starve, because Assyria is going to besiege this city, and they won't have any food, and they'll have to eat their own poop and drink their own urine. 13. And Rabshakeh standeth and calleth with a great voice in Jewish, and saith, Hear ye the words of the great king, the king of Ashur. Now he knows he has a captive audience, and he wants as many people to be intimidated as possible so that they will pressure the officials into letting the Assyrians overtake their town. So he says, 14. Thus saith the king, Let not Hezekiah lift you up, for he is not able to deliver you. 15. And let not Hezekiah make you trust unto Jehovah, saying, Jehovah doth certainly deliver us. This city is not given into the hand of the king of Ashur. 16. Do not hearken unto Hezekiah, for thus said the king of Ashur, Make ye with me a blessing, and come out unto me, and eat ye each of his vine, and each of his fig tree, and drink ye each the waters of his own well. 17. Till my coming in, and I have taken you unto a land like your own land, a land of corn and wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Rabshakeh has first told them that the Assyrians are going to besiege the town and they're going to starve to death. Now he's telling them, in order to avoid this tragedy, all they have to do is come out of the city willingly and pledge their submission to the Assyrians, and then he will let them live there on their own land until he returns, and when he returns, then he will take them off to the beautiful land of Assyria where they can have a better life. That's obviously brainwashing. He wants to destroy Jerusalem, and he wants to kidnap them and take them to Assyria to be slaves. But of course he's not going to say that. He's telling them that they're going to have a great life in Assyria, which certainly is not true. Satan will make threats and he'll make promises, but neither his threats nor his promises are true. We have to believe what the Lord tells us, repent of our sins and follow him and put all of our trust in him, and he will save us. Don't let the devil sell you a bridge that doesn't exist. 18. Lest Hezekiah doth persuade you, saying, Jehovah doth deliver us, have the gods of the nations delivered each his land out of the hand of the king of Ashur? Now Rabshakeh is making a final argument. He's saying, If you guys think that your king is going to save you, think again, because no nation has defeated the Assyrians. 
And if the other nations can't defeat us, you can't either. 19. Where are the gods of Hamath and Arphad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim, that they have delivered Samaria out of my hand? Before Rabshakeh showed up in Judah, the Assyrians had already captured Samaria, which was the capital of the ten tribes of Israel. The Assyrians had already captured that pagan capital and taken prisoners of war, and that's what he's telling them. The Samaritan pagan gods could not save the capital of Israel. So how do you think your God is going to save you? But again, that's a ridiculous question because the pagan gods are demons. And of course, the pagan capital of Samaria would not be saved by the Lord because they practice sin. But in Judah, they were still honoring the Lord, and they had every reason to believe that the Lord would save them. There's no comparison between the one true God and all of the demon gods in the world put together. 20. Who among all the gods of these lands are they who have delivered their land out of my hand, that Jehovah doth deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? And again he says, all the other nations that we came to, we defeated. So there's no way you're going to fight us off. 21. And they keep silent and have not answered him a word, for a command of the king is saying, do not answer him. Now in this, the Judaites did well because they were told beforehand by King Hezekiah, don't give any answer to Reb Shekah. This was a good command because being afraid, they wouldn't know what to say to him. But they also wouldn't want to offend the one true God. So it was better not to say anything. Since they couldn't say something brave and they couldn't say something sinful, they kept their mouths shut. They didn't yet know if the Lord was going to defend them, although they knew he could. Hezekiah hadn't received a word from the Lord yet, saying whether or not Judah would fall. 22. And Elikiah, son of Hilkiah, who was over the house, cometh in, and Shebna the scribe, and Joah, son of Asaph, the remembrancer, unto Hezekiah with rent garments, and they declare to him the words of Rabshakeh. So at this point, the three top palace officials went back inside to the palace and told Hezekiah the entire conversation. In the next chapter, we'll find out what Hezekiah does in the face of this threat. Eliakim was kind of like the butler of the palace. Being head over the house made him like the top butler, which was a really high position. In this position, you would taste the king's food and you would be a personal assistant and a friend of the king. Shebna was the scribe, which meant that he wrote down all of the prophecy and all of the law from the Lord. He wrote down the oracles of God. And Joah was the remembrancer, which means he was the historian, and he kept careful records of the financial doings in the palace as well as the history of Judah during his lifetime. And that concludes Isaiah chapter 36.